We're very aware, aren't we, of that term new and improved. I mean, it dominates marketing strategies, and I think it's something we, we hear so often, I wonder if it still has the power to motivate. The National Museum of American History claims that Americans were greeted with the concept of new and improved in the last half of the 20th century more than at any other time. People were excited by claims of unlimited progress, that things would just continue to get better and better. We know now that there's been a hefty price to pay for that in terms of the environment and in terms of the lives of workers and consumers. But it still holds some appeal, I think, to think of something now better than it was. Of course, some observers remark that it's a contradiction. You can't have something that is both new and improved at the same time. <laughs> and sometimes the new thing is actually old. When the New Age music group Mannheim Steamroller was recording one of their now iconic Christmas albums, you know, those fresh air albums, their founder, Chip Davis, went to a friend of his, choral director John Rutter. And Chip had an idea that he was just certain would be totally new and fresh. He said, John, why don't we take that hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and arrange it as a chant. And not only that, have it chanted in Latin. John Rutter said, well, I hate to disappoint you, but that tune was first a chant over a thousand years ago. And guess what? It was in Latin. So much for new ideas. As Tom Waits once described something, it's new, it's improved, it's old-fashioned. You know, we often like new things, don't we? Except that they can require change. And most people register change as loss. It can be easier to remain in something we know, even if it's painful, than to embrace the new direction that is before us. The prophet Isaiah announces to the people that God is about to do something new. And yet it seems like there is resistance to it. If we read on in chapter 43, God provides a list of Israel's ongoing infidelities. We see that God, even in the face of that, is declaring mercy to his unfaithful people for his own sake. And he's pleading with them to let their past actions go and to embrace his renewing love. He says, look, I'm doing a new thing. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Our passage that we have, the Old Testament election, recounting of God's goodness in the Exodus, of freeing the people from their captivity. And you see that. It talks about the the sea and the chariots and the horses and the army and that they, they just lay there. They were never going to get up again, right? Forget the former things. Something new is coming, he says. What are the former things? When discussing newness, we also have to consider what is old. We know that over and over, Israel is told to remember to rehearse, to tell about the great deeds that God has done for them. Don't let your children forget it. Don't let your grandchildren forget it. In fact, Israel is ordered to remember the Exodus every year through the ritual of the Passover. Our psalm today says that God makes his marvelous works to be remembered, and they are the foundation. The works of his hands are faithfulness and justice. All his commandments are sure, the psalmist says, he commanded his covenant forever. 
when Jesus shows up to speak in the synagogue. His listeners marvel because they receive his teaching as something new. And for them, accustomed as they are to the stringent requirements of the religious establishment, it is new, it's fresh, it's freeing, it has authority. It has this ring of something real that engages their memory. It's new, and it's old. Jesus is not a disconnect from the past. He's fulfillment. He's not undermining the earlier chapters of God's story. He's building on them. He's reminding the people that God has always desired to know them, and to know them intimately, that God sees the downtrodden that others do not see, and that God much prefers to live in the temple of the human heart. That's old news, but they have forgotten it. You know, there's always this important relationship between the old and the new. And the new thing cannot be understood apart from the reference to the old thing. In faith, God builds on what has come before. And as Anglican Christians, I think we're, we're especially those who cherish the ancient prayers and the liturgies and, and rootedness. What does Jesus tell us in Matthew 13? He says, Every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures old and new. The building we worship in is a metaphor for that. Something old that's been renewed for a purpose that is both old and fresh. Yet it is important not to be trapped in the past. Walter Brueggemann, who uh, I love when he writes about Isaiah here, he, he addresses this tension in Isaiah between the old and the new, and he says, faith requires a thick memory, <laughs> that's his term, that is always letting ancient miracles be reenacted in fresh and daring ways. Israel never escapes its primal memory, but biblical faith, he says, is geared to the future. What is it to forget the former things? Most commentators think that the former things relate to the Exodus because that's what's remembered. That's what's listed here at the very beginning of this little passage. But it seems that elsewhere, God has specifically instructed the people not to forget those things. Scholar Brevard Childs has another take on this. He sees the former things as all of the judgment that had been announced against Israel in the earlier parts of Isaiah. The loss of their land, their captivity, the loss of their place of worship, the loss of identity, the hand of God in judgment against them because of their sin. Child says that's what God is saying to forget. Don't live anymore in that time of despair and deprivation. Don't be defined by those years. Don't let them bring about bitterness in your heart because I am doing a new thing. I'm going to bring about something new that will be tremendous and will be a blessing to everyone. Even animals will benefit, but especially my people. The faith journey is the fourth journey. I don't mean by that some kind of constant progress and improvement, although some see it that way. But faith will lead us as we listen and follow and open our hearts to our true home in God. We're not to be defined by our failures. We're not to be defined by our doubts or our tough seasons in our lives when we were just not doing well. 
I think some of us can relate to that. But instead, we look to the deep foundations of our faith, and we anticipate the new work that God wants to do in and through us. Sometimes it can be difficult to see a new thing when we're in the midst of hard struggle, like we are right now. We don't deny that the world's in a real time of challenge. Many things are being undone. The changes we're experiencing in a time of pandemic are hard. A number of us have lost loved ones in the past few months. Actually, I can't think of a season in my time at Redeemer where more people have lost parents than this year. And we learned yesterday that Kristen Hillinger's mother has passed away yesterday, and so we offer our prayers for peace. Parents are exhausted. We're separated from one another in isolation. There is a weariness here. Be honest about that hardship. And Amanda powerfully presented that truth in her sermon a couple of weeks ago. Because God must often undo us before he can remake us to do the new thing that he wants to bring about. Richard Rohr has said this. He said, most of us need to have the status quo shaken now and then, leaving us off balance and askew, feeling alienated for a while from our usual unquestioned loyalties. In this uncomfortable space, we can finally recognize the much larger kingdom of God. Robert McAfee Brown writes that the times with the most significant growth in his life were times of great upheaval, or creative dislocation, he calls it. The very brokenness can transform us, he says, to be more than we ever thought we could be. This is transformative spirituality. See I'm doing a new thing. This last year has shaken a lot of things. I think most of us do feel off balance and askew, alienated from things that before we just saw as normal, that we took for granted, that had to be a part of life, and also alienated from people. An article in The Atlantic this week observed that the pandemic has eroded entire categories of friendship from people's lives. We are living in the midst of creative dislocation. And that's hard. The good news is that it can lead to transformation, to something new. And guess what? That's what God desires to do in us, through us. Not just Israel in Isaiah 43, but Church of the Redeemer. In fact, the whole world. <laughs> So what is this new work that God is promising Israel here? It's a transformation from the wilderness into a garden. It's a healing. It's a remaking. It's restoring what they lost, but in a new way. And this healing, this remaking, this flowing of water in the desert is to enable God's people to worship, to proclaim his praise. I fully believe that God is leading us as a church community, to a new place of knowing him, of worshiping him, of loving and serving others in his name. I don't think we're going back to what we knew before. I've stopped saying when things are normal again. I said that for a long time. I said that for almost a year. <laughs> um, I don't think things will ever be normal in the way that we knew them to be normal. But I also think that's a new thing that God is doing. 
and God will lead us in that. We can build on the fact that there are gifts in the life of our church that are rich and vital and foundational. In other words, the old stuff, right? But I fully believe that God will reorient our lives before himself and before the world to greater display his glory, to enlarge our joy, and to call people into relationship with him. I mean, this is the Lord's work of transformation, of leading us forward in himself. And it can be hard. It means change. It means letting go of some of the things that we would cling to. Sometimes it means letting go of people and embracing new people. See, I am doing a new thing. Don't miss it. It's right in front of you. The one who sits on the throne in Revelation 21, what does he say? He says, see, I am making all things new. It's done. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, and to the thirsty I will give water from the spring of life. That's ahead for us. This week in a small village in southeast of France, they received a startling gift. They were bequeathed around $2.5 million from a 90-year-old pharmacist that they did not really even know following his death at the age of, uh, I already said he was 90, he lived in nearby Lyon. Well, it turns out the town had saved his life and his family during World War II. They were Jews, and the village took them in and hid them. And his family was not alone. The small Protestant town, Chambon-sur-Lignon, had saved over 3,000 Jews during the war. And it's just a town of 2,500 people, just a little village. No neighbor ever told on another neighbor to the authorities. It was known as the miracle of silence. Yet this was nothing new for this village, apparently. They have been a place of refuge for over 400 years. <laughs> First, for the Protestant Huguenots who were fleeing religious persecution, to priests who were seeking to save their lives during the French Revolution, to Republicans seeking safety during the Spanish Civil War in the 1930s. And it's said that today you can find children and families from Kosovo, Chechnya, Rwanda, Sudan, and other countries playing on the village's playground, speaking different languages. And it's still going on. A family there, motivated by their Christian faith, has taken in Muslim refugees. See, this town has a legacy. Pretty rich, right? <laughs> a gift and a calling that's solid and foundational and profound, but it's been made new in every generation. Exercised in fresh ways, depending on the deep need in the world. So what is the new thing for us? I don't know. I don't know yet. But I do believe it will build on the gifts that God has placed within us. The gifts of worship, community, healing, and solidarity in some fresh expression. So let's pray for it. Let's watch for it. Let's not miss it. Amen.